This is the Santita Jackson Show. Good morning, everybody. This is Richard Chu sitting in for Santita Jackson. Yeah, Santito is, uh, I, I always like to make the joke that uh, Santita is skydiving, but it's too doggone early in the morning for her to be jumping out of a plane. But uh, either way, I am sitting in, Richard Chu from the family meeting and uh, hosting this morning. She's uh, taking care of a few items, and I'm just here to kind of keep things rolling forward on WCPT. My man Henry is uh, running the boards and making sure I don't... Uh, break anything electronically but that's uh that's how we do it here at wcpt and i have to tell everybody i mean i'm, I'm putting my man's business in the street but uh, we were we were talking about a few items this morning and i happened to ask henry uh, how, how things are going at school and he graduates in may he's got his last uh couple of classes and got his um you know, getting those last few credits in, and he made the funny comment this morning. He said, "Yeah, at the end of the at end of May, beginning of June, I'll get that very expensive, nice piece of paper that uh, I worked so hard for." And I laughed hard enough to snort on that one. But uh, congratulations to my man Henry. How you doing this morning? Thank you, thank you. I'm doing super well. Good, good. Glad to see that. Glad to hear that, I should say. Man, there's a, there's a lot of stuff going on. We're going to try to cover as much as we can this morning. As always, the number is 773-763-9278. Feel free to give us a call if you've got something on your mind you want to chat about. There's so many current events that we're all pretty much familiar with. And um, one of the things that I'll be, one of the things I'm going to do as part of um, you know the next two hours that I'll be uh, be sitting in is uh, invite you guys to call in, and I've got a few questions I want to put out there that uh, kind of give you some things to think about. And the most obvious of my, I've got four questions I want to put out to, to you guys to uh, to call in on, and um, I'm going to hit those right quick. The fir- the four questions, things that I that I think um, are, are really items that we are all um, somewhat thinking about or certainly are on our minds. Uh, I'll start off with, if you were to pick two people in the mayor's race, I'm not asking you to tell me who you're going to vote for. I'm asking you to tell me who your top two choices are, or top two candidates in the mayor's race. Um, a, two, a couple of weeks ago, uh, WCPT uh, at the Morningstar Auditorium, Hosted a mayoral forum, and the top the nine candidates who are running were there. Uh, obviously, Mayor Lightfoot, um, Chewy Garcia, Paul Vallis, uh, Dr. Willie Wilson, and um, Brandon Johnson were the five leading uh, or first five candidates to to speak. And um, and then we had the other uh, other four candidates that that were there, but. Um, I'd like to know who your top two candidates are. The, the, the mayor's race is right around the corner, and um, I'm, I'm curious. So question number one, your top two mayoral candidates. Don't have to tell us who you're choosing, but who you think are the top two candidates and why. And since we're going to stay on, the, on that, that subject matter of, of political candidates, I'm curious because right now, as we know, um, we're inside of two years to the next uh, presidential election and, of course, the next national election as it relates to the Senate race, U.S. Senate race and the House of Representatives. Um, and so you 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 know that where we're headed is everybody's talking about the next couple of points. 
is Joe Biden going to run as the Democrat, as the as the incumbent president um, with his vice president, Kamala Harris? So I think the answer to that question is probably yes. He just hasn't formally announced it. Um, he's been talking around it a little bit. He's been pressed by the media. Are you running? Are you not? And I think he's just waiting for the the right time. Um, I think he's less concerned about running and some, but more concerned about some of the things that are happening both domestically and internationally. That being said, my second question is: If you were looking at the candidates that are running on the right or running for the Republican nomination, that's what I'm curious about because we've got. Uh, Nikki Haley, who just um, this in recent uh, days announced that she's running. And of course, all the, you know, the fanfare that comes with a person announcing that they're going to run. Um, there's some other people that are out there, obviously, 45, uh, Rick DeSantis um, and a few others that are that are sort of uh, uh, chipping at the edges, as it as it were. And a number of others that could potentially uh, throw their hat in the ring. But I'm curious, who you th- who do you think will be the Republican nominee in 2024? And that will start to heat up more and more, obviously, with Nikki Haley announcing and uh, 45 in the mix. And, and DeSantis, uh, you know, soon to be, I'm sure, one to announce or at least uh, get down that road. So that's question number two. Uh, question number three. Right now. Um, I'm, I'm a, I'm a wish list kind of person in certain, certain, um, um, regards. And one of the questions that I have has to do with infrastructure right now. It is a huge conversation and it'll link into some things I'm going to talk about today. Infrastructure. If you had a wish list of items that could be done in your community, wherever you live, Uh, Whatever, if you live in the city, suburbs, where you listen to us in the country, wherever, if you're listening to us globally. Um, But certainly as a United States citizen, if you were picking a couple of infrastructure items that you'd like to see done in your neighborhood or in the greater um, United States, what would they be? Call in and let us know what those infrastructure items would be, what you'd like to see get done, even if it's not in your community, but in areas that you know um, need uh, to be part of uh, infrastructure development and planning. And then the fourth question is a little bit askew from politics, but it certainly is in the vein of of uh, sort of social awareness. And um, this, uh, I think it's this Friday uh, or Saturday, uh, Michael Jordan celebrates his 60th birthday. And... Um, if there's one thing that you know we all know is that Michael Jordan is considered to be the GOAT in basketball or certainly one of the greatest, and I would agree with that as being one of the greatest. Um, and he did something uh, or announced that he's doing something, which is he's donating $10 million to um, the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And so he's kind of getting a little bit of, um, you know, I've, I've looked at some of the, the regards on social media. He's getting some... Thumbs up from people, and he's getting some, uh, I won't say thumbs down, but some um, slight criticism or conversation surrounding the fact that, you know, why now and uh, why this organization? So I'd like to hear from you guys to find out what your thoughts are about Michael Jordan's contribution of $10 million to the Make-A-Wish Foundation. So in reverse order, my four questions are, Michael Jordan donating $10 million to the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Love to find out about your thoughts about that. 
Uh, what's your infrastructure wish list? Couple three items, and everything's fair. Who do you think will be the Republican nominee or nomin- not nominees, but the the, the leading uh, people running for the Republican nomination? And then who you think it might be? And then if you were picking your top two candidates as we're getting down to the wire with the Chicago mayoral race, who would those uh, top two people be? So uh, give us a call at 773-763-9278. We will be taking your calls. I'll be here uh, sitting in for Santita Jackson. Of course, this is Richard Chu, one of the co-hosts of um, the family meeting here on WCPT. So. I'll dive in kind of to talk a little bit about um, some of the things that are happening with regard to the mayor's race. Obviously, here at CPT, we had a mayoral forum a couple weeks ago. A lot of people attended. It was packed, uh, standing room only at the um, the Morningstar uh, Auditorium. And it was great to be there. It was great to be there in general because um, we got to hear a lot of uh, commentary from the candidates, um, all nine of them, and uh, Joan Esposito, uh, Patty Vasquez, and uh, Santita uh, Jackson were uh, the moderators of the event. So a couple things that came around came about from that. I talked to a lot of people who were um, uh, commenting on it. They contacted us through the, through the station, or they called into uh, to the family meeting, and uh, they called in when I was uh, hosting for Joan. Uh, a, little, a couple of weeks ago, and the the common, um, I guess you could say, common commentary that we got was that um, you know the mayor, uh, Mayor Lightfoot, was still kind of uh, ahead of the crowd, uh, given the fact that she has a power of the incumbency of being uh, being our current mayor. However, um, there were a number of people that also said that Brandon Johnson, um, and I I would agree with this because I was there kind of separated himself from the rest of the candidates um, uh, sans the mayor. So I'm curious where people sit. Um, I think that, you know, as, as I asked um, a question, um, I, I posted this question on social media. I've asked this question live on the air, and I certainly um, uh, mentioned it to, to people that I know that um, I, I've asked this question. So only one person... Henry is going to win the election and eight people are not going to win the election. So my question, and I pose this to, to Brandon Johnson, um, is what if if you're not the person that wins, so you're one of the eight people that doesn't win, um, what will they do? What will you do with, you know, where do you sit in terms of what's next? And when I asked him this question, he was pretty forthright in his answer. He said that. Um, you know, that's the, that's the question that a lot of people don't want to answer because their, um, their initial response is, well, I believe I'm going to win. Right. We, we get that. But he did do the thing that, um, a competent person and politician does. And that's recognize that, that eight people aren't going to win. Um, and he said in his answer, I feel that, you know, as a commissioner, that my work, and, and this is what I what I found to be a good, compelling answer. He said, "I believe in the work that I'm doing, and I believe in where I'm, uh, wh- where I'd like to see the city go if I were to be elected mayor." He said, "However, if that doesn't happen, I'm going to continue down the road of the things that I've been talking about and that I believe in, and I'm going to continue to push for the, for the um, the changes that I believe need to take place in the city, the county, and the state at large." Um, it was a good political answer, but I believe that's an answer that he um, he believes in. 
so what for me the, what I found the, the reason that that's been my question um, to the other candidate or to all the candidates is that if you believe in what it is that you're talking about as a candidate and that you're running for and pushing for then if you are one of the eight people that don't win, are you going to continue down that path? Or are you going to go sit in the corner until the next uh, um, election comes around and then suddenly you'll pop your head up again? You'll spend the money on ads. You'll do all those things that candidates do as they're leading up to the, the next election. Or are you going to be, you know, in my mind, reaching out to the to the person that does win and say, listen, we don't agree on everything. We obviously didn't during the um, the run up to this election, but I believe in the things that we need to work together on as a as a, a leader or a voice in the city of Chicago. How can I help you get your agenda done, which isn't a bad agenda? I don't agree with everything, but let's take the best of everybody. See, that's I think that the person that wins has to do this. He or she has to then take the people who were the leading candidates. And basically call a meeting and say, listen, we you, we all have great ideas. All of our ideas come from a, sp- a place where I believe ultimately um, we want to see happen or be better. And that's for the city to, to get better. And so I want to build a consensus with you guys who have had the best outreach to the to the citizens of the city so that we can take your best idea or best two ideas and put those together and get them done. I think that the next mayor that gets elected has that responsibility, whether it's the mayor, Mayor Lightfoot being reelected or if there's a newly elected person that he or she that should be high on their agenda is to sit down and, and I'll, I'll, I'll not a sidebar, but I'll, I'll kind of add this to the, to the thought. I mean, I think one of the biggest mistakes that um, politicians make, elected officials make across the board is that. You have to understand that that the numbers are what I mean by this is people are voting for someone other than you. And if they're voting for someone other than you, that that means that they have some maybe beliefs that are similar, certainly some that might be uh, not in line with where you are as a, as a, 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 pol- a political um, person or a pers- person running for political office. So it might be a good idea to listen to some of the things that they're saying, because in many cases, those things are part of what people who are voting for them want. Now, I'll press pause on that because I know that there's some people running on a national level and even on a regional and local level that have some crazy ideas. And those ideas need to be dumped, you know, thrown into the dumpster. Um, So I'm not saying that, you know, it needs to be a kumbaya type of thing. But I do think that politicians would be well served. And we use this phrase often. It's a belief system that that Eric uh, Grant came up with um, over time. And it's what are our permanent beliefs? You know, what are our what are our permanent values? What are the things that are going to sustain all of us? And that's where I'd like to see the candidates for mayor go. If you are one of the eight that don't win, then are you going to just go roll, you know, roll up your tent and go home or are you going to stay in the mix? And then the, the person that wins needs to be able to reach out to those folks and say, listen, I, I want to embrace some of the things that I think you can help me with. I have to believe that if take the assumption that Mayor Lightfoot gets reelected, um, I got to believe that there's some things that Paul Vallis can help her with. Um, she's got to be open to the help. 
I have to believe that there's some things that Brandon Johnson can help her with. She's got to be open to the help. And I could go down the list of people and I'll do that. But that's how I'd like to see her, if she gets reelected, um, work with the people that, that are there that are some of the leading voices. I think it sends a message to the voters and to the citizens of the city that she wants to be a consensus building mayor to help everybody who has a, a vested interest in our politics, in our political structure, in our city, do better and get some of the things that they believe in. So she may not have all the answers to what's the right thing when it comes to safety. She may not have all the answers when it comes to how to deal with things when it comes to economic uh, parity and balance and educational parity and balance throughout the city of Chicago and the greater Cook County. I think that that's one of the... um, that's my hope for her if she gets reelected. It's, I have that same hope if Chewy got elected or if Miss King gets, uh, gets elected, that they would slow down for a moment and reach out to the folks that, that, that ran. I mean, I would hope that, that um, any of them would have the capacity as a, as a leader of the city to say, okay, let's talk to all those folks and, and, and determine. I mean, I think Rod Sawyer would be a great mayor. Um, of the city of Chicago. But I would hope that if he were to get elected, he would say, okay, I need to get with the other eight folks that didn't win and find out what is it that you can bring to the table now so that we can get some of your items done. Here's why, now from a political standpoint, here's why I think that there's value in the person doing that. I think what that does is it sort of, it blunts that person's ability to come after you in the next election or during the lead up to the next election, because you've included him or her in the process of what you said you were going to do once you got elected, which was bring the city together. So if you're going to bring the city together, one of the first things that you probably should consider is looking at the people who are your opponents and determining what their strengths are and pulling their strengths into your camp because it will blunt their strengths and they now become yours. Now, I I um, um, I remember years ago reading the book um, um, Machiavelli's Prince, and that's something that comes from Machiavelli's Prince, and that is to to to, to uh, absorb the strengths of your enemies so they become your strengths, and suddenly they have um, less of an opportunity to come after you with their strengths because you've absorbed them. I think that that's what the I'm hoping that the mayor, whoever gets elected uh, or, or reelected, has the ability to do. Um, it's a wish list of mine um, in terms of what I'd like to see happen. But at the end of the day, and I said I capped it with, that's a political reason. But as it relates to the city's improvement, if all these are, all these are great ideas, then let's pull some of these ideas and make them part of what we want to do as, as a newly elected administration or the, the re- reelected administration. That's you know, kind of the you know Richard Chu way of of building consensus and working with um, with your quote unquote opponents, but in a political sense, allowing yourself to to take advantage of what their strengths are and absorb them into your into your um, you know into your tent. So, I think that the mayor's race is an interesting. Um, uh, also, uh, what's the word I want to use? It's an interesting spotlight on how people feel about the city, and, and this is going to come from a maybe from a. Um, a weird angle, but um, I was watching a few things um, over the last couple of weeks, and, I, and I'd heard about this in, I think it was back in 2021. It was, it's been during, it's been since 
um, you know, the start of the pandemic. And that is that um, a couple years ago, I believe it was um, Time Out Magazine um, did a survey of folks that visit the city of Chicago and why. And one of the things that came out is that they felt that the city of Chicago was one of the most beautiful cities in the world. And subsequent to that, another survey came out that said that the city of Chicago ranked in the top two of um, cleanly, cleanly, cleanliest or clean cities. Let's make it that clean cities um, in America. And you got to think about that in the context of being, you know, the third largest city population in the country being looked at by people who come to visit as one of the cleanest places in the, in the country that they visited. Okay, I mean, we live here, so we see everything. So we, you know, may, our, our our bias might be in a different direction. Um, but I found that to be interesting, and I'm layering this into something that I most most recently or very recently heard. So the city of Chicago is one of the prettiest cities in the world, and um, and, and one of the cleanest cities in America, um, as a, according to Time Out magazine. I find that really interesting because if you if one were to listen to just the the negative things that we hear about Chicago, the number one thing that seems to be the negative uh, item happens to be gun violence or violence or, you know, uh, well, we'll keep it in that in that under that that um, that label of violence. Chicago is not a safe city. Every one of the candidates that's running for mayor right now is somewhat leaned into some harder than others that the city of Chicago is not a safe city to live in. Well, I don't need to agree or disagree with that when it comes to the violence um, that's attached to that statement, because some people would say that it isn't. Others would say that it is. And then we get into the conversation about do the candidates have it right as it relates to the solution to that? I don't think you fix it after the fact. I think it's got to be before the fact. So some would say that the city of Chicago's biggest uh, negative is that it's not a safe city. And if you listen to any of the ads that a lot of the candidates are running, they all are t- kind of touching a little bit more than some more than others on the, the fact on the the idea. I won't say the fact, but the idea that the city of Chicago is not safe. So then I go into something that Eric and I talk about a lot. And what are the rules or how do you define something? So if you're going to say the city is not safe, how are you defining that? What are the actual items or the bullet points that make it safe or not safe? If you're, just, if you're going to take it as a black and white, it's either safe or it's not safe. Or then the way I like to look at things is on a scale. You know, is it safe based on these items? And if you get into that part of the conversation, this is what I found compelling that none of the candidates are talking about. I wish they all were, but they're all caught up in talking about Chicago being safe or not safe based on violence. So this researcher that I follow on social media, credibly, and I won't mention the person's name, but I found this to be really interesting, that Chicago, and this is where I go back to how do you define safety, is one of the greenest cities in the world. So that means it's one of the greenest cities where? In America. Why? What are the criteria? Some of the bullet points, the development of new buildings that have a requirement for uh, green coating, our air quality in general, 
the flow of the river and the lake, how it impacts um, our, um, I forgot the, 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 the CO2 rating in the city, our parks, which tie back to the timeout article on the city being one of the beautiful, one of the more beautiful places in the country, if not the world. One of the things that was in that survey was our park system. So when we tie in that with this researcher on the city's green ranking, safety to me is also the quality of air that I breathe. Because we all know that that's a part of living a healthy, sustainable life. So I use the word sustainable because Chicago is ranked as the highest sustainable city in America based on this, what this researcher had put together. That's pretty damn cool. So as much as the politicians that are the, the folks that are running for mayor's office are talking about the city being unsafe or getting, you know, off into that conversation to whatever depth they go, whether it's the mayor or the, the eight folks that are the eight other folks that are running. I find sustainability, air quality, um, infrastructure, and the items that that um, revolve around the city's um, sustainability and how it it provides oper- what I want the what's I'm, I'm missing the word right now, but it provides a, a level of, of beautification. That to me is important. As it is as important as the other items on the on the uh, the bullet point list of is, is the city of Chicago safe? So what that also I think is going to represent is the, the further development of the city and its infrastructure, because as we can continue to build and build green, we can continue to see that our lakefront is sustained. We can con- continue to see that our waterways are sustained. They're clean. Um, that to me, is an item that should be in the conversation about safety. Um, but I'm kind of nerdy that way, <laughs> if you will. I, I think I, I try to look at the whole picture as best I can. But that, and, and those that know me know that that's what I try to do. And rather than but, I think that our folks that are currently running for mayor have missed a golden opportunity to talk about that. And the mayor... Mayor Lightfoot has done her best to kind of talk about the things that they've done, knowing that there's more to get done. Um, but I think all of the um, the candidates, and I've tried to listen and watch what they've said and how they've presented this, have kind of missed the boat there. Missed an opportunity to talk about safety as it relates to air quality, as it relates to sustainability. So I know we've got to hit a quick break here. It's uh, uh, We're... We're running a little bit long, but um, the number is 773-763-9278. We're going to take a break, and uh, obviously when we come back, we're going to try to grab some of your calls. This is Richard Chu sitting in for Santita Jackson. This is the Santita Jackson Show. And we are back. This is Richard Chu sitting in for Santita Jackson. The number is 773-763-9278. So, Henry, um, top two mayor picks 
Republican nominee, infrastructure wish list, and uh, Michael Jordan's donation to Make-A-Wish. But I'll come to you with this quick question. So if you were to say, here are the people that you think are the top two leading candidates right now in the mayor's race, who would you say that they are? I would say, I think uh, Lori Lightfoot, the incumbent advantage is pretty strong. I think that's a pretty big factor. I think she's probably going to do fairly decently. I would also say, I hear a lot of people talking about uh, Willie Wilson or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So I feel like he's probably going to do fairly strong. Uh, A lot of people I know mention him. Uh, Chewy, I also hear a fair bit about. So I feel like he's fairly strong as well. Brandon Johnson, I personally like a lot. So I I hope he does well. Um, I feel like he will do pretty well, but I might be a little biased in that regard. Yeah. Um, But I feel like if we had to come down to like two, like at the end, I feel like... It might be right now. I'm leaning towards Whitefoot and uh, Willie Wilson. I think that might be the, the top two. I think so. Maybe. Yeah. Well, no, you're you're right about Brandon. He he's definitely um, he definitely shot up in the last um, sixty ninety days. Yeah, and that's really interesting. I think a lot of the appeal with Brandon, believe it or not, and this is exciting um, for me, just looking at history and then looking at when I say history, I mean looking at what how history has proven that. Younger folks chronologically drive the narrative far more than they get credit for. And chronologically, I think he's the youngest candidate um, that's running. Um, And he's appealed to a number of folks that are under the age of 40. And so in the last election, um, the data, I don't have the data, exact numbers, but I just remember topically that the voter, voter turnout for younger voters was horrible. And... I don't know if he's going to win or not. To your point, I think he will do well. And I think that part of that is he's driving a narrative to younger voters that is appealing, which is let's help to build our infrastructure, number one infrastructure item, which is, you know, our young folks. And Mm -hmm. that's encouraging to hear from any candidate. But he seems to be the one that's kind of taken the, the baton on that. Most so, definitely. That's yeah. one of the things that I like most about him. Yeah, me too. I will. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm older than he is chronologically, but I, I love his uh, position in a lot of things. Um, okay, so the mayor's race is right around the corner. You all are going to vote, vote for who you want to vote for. And I'm, I just want to see folks turn out and vote. That's, that's the thing. But I go back to something I said again. I think that the candidates all have missed an opportunity to talk about the city's uh, safety factor when it comes to uh, the quality of air and the sustainability and I hope that they talk. I hope that going forward, that that's part of the conversation for uh, for our candidates in general. So um, I, you know, I'll shift from something that I look at as a positive as it relates to this this election, and to something that's not not a negative, but certainly it's it's a it's a tough thing that we have to deal with right now. And yet again, we've had another quote unquote. We have two mass shootings inside of a week. And every time we have one, we go down the same route again and again on the same conversation again and again. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm tired of it, but I'm not done talking about it. And that is um, there's a common thread through this through the shootings, no matter where they happen. um, There's there is one common thread that it's a shooting and 90 percent plus time it's with an assault uh, rifle. So I don't want to get into a conversation about the Second Amendment because it's not going to change. We aren't going to change. If we change the Second Amendment, I would 
I mean, I would be shocked. I mean, there's not a lot that shocks me, but that one would shock me. If we changed it to say that guns are illegal in America, across the world, I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, okay. I, don't, I would never see that happening. I don't see that happening. Okay, so if we know that that's probably not going to happen, then let's do the things that are potentially the next best things to affect the most amount of people in the fastest, simplest way possible. And that is, without question or debate, eliminate assault rifles. So the the folks on the left who are leaning into this conversation about guns and the Second Amendment, we already know people read the Second, Second Amendment and they bifurcate their thinking on it to say X. Those that support the Second Amendment as it relates to I should have a gun because it's in it's a constitutional right of mine. We already know that they're way down the road on that. So I think that the fight is not about changing the Second Amendment or changing someone's mind about gun ownership. I have a couple of really good friends that are gun owners. Um, one of them's former military. Uh, one of them's not. Um but at the end of the day, they believe that it's their right to own a gun. And it says it in the Constitution. I mean, based on how it's interpreted or how you want to read it. Okay, I'm not going to have that fight with you. But prove to me, prove to me, rather than me having a debate about yes or no, prove to me why you need to have an assault rifle. Not your right to have one. You need one. Because that's where I think the conversation is missed. I'm not going to I'm not going to fight with you over your your right to own a gun, but I want to regulate what. Because think about the wording that people lean on oftentimes: a regulated militia. So regulated means you can establish criteria to define what regulated means, and that's where I think the folks on the left and some on the right are missing it. Let's regulate it. And all we got to do to regulate it is say assault rifles are done because in the in these horrible, horrible shootings, that is the continuity. Assault rifles. Most folks, when we sat back, I said this to my wife when when this happened, we we're talking about it. And I said, um, I don't know what weapon was used, but I'm betting it was an assault rifle. And. Within 12 hours, you know, it, it was revealed. So let's get rid of them. If, you, if the gun manufacturers want to manufacture them to sell them to the military and, and globally, knock yourself out. But as a citizen, you can't own one. So we'll go back to this, um, to the news piece before we came on the air about Norcan being, you, know, you, may, you all may not, may not have heard this, but Henry and I were talking about this off air about Norcan, if we understood or heard the story correctly, is being looked at as um, being sold as an over-the-counter item, potentially being sold out of vending machines, if we heard it correctly. And Henry and I are still waking up, but I think we both heard that correctly. <laughs> yeah. So, we listen, we regulate medication. And why? so regulating, um, I mean, there's certain medications that have to be sold over-the-counter. So we regulate medications. We, re we regulate vehicles. We regulate a lot of stuff for the safety and the betterment of our society. We sure as heck can regulate the guns that are sold. 
And I think that we need to eliminate the ability for a citizen, a private citizen, to own an assault rifle or the ammunition that goes with an assault rifle. And the penalty for owning one has to be steep. If you own one illegally, if it becomes an item that's that's now made illegal to own, if you are caught with one, the penalty has to be steep, like as steep as we're not going to find you. We're not going to um, penalize you necessarily from a monetary standpoint. We're going to take something away from you. My mother and father, you know, taught me some valuable lessons, and one of them was um, my punishment punishments for um, or my trade offs for for not doing something I was supposed to do or doing something bad, if you will, was to take something away from me that I found that that I valued, because then I realized that the punishment was greater to to desire that thing than getting a whooping or getting a you know hand slap or whatever, whatever. Take something away that I valued. And that taught me the lesson. So I think that uh, I think an appropriate penalty, if we were to able to get the elected officials to, to negotiate the illegality of owning an assault rifle or weapon and the, wep- the, the um, ammunition that goes with it would be we're going to remove your driver's you, 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 your driver's license is suspended for six months or a year. Make it a federal crime that is um, and it would be maybe challenging to do. But I think that's some creative ways of dealing with it. Your license is suspended for six months by in the state that you have that you have a driver's license because licenses are, are, um, are, are given by state. It's not. It's, see, what makes things like this complicated is people can't get creative in their thinking. That's how I see it. Just be creative. If we want to, we want to affect it. Um, it. That's just one item in terms of a way to punish people who own an illegal weapon. Your driver's license is suspended for six months. How difficult is that going to make that person's life? Pretty difficult, right? Don't don't penalize them financially. Just take their driver's license away. You can't drive. Now you can't get to work. And, the, and the dominoes fall. That's me. I like to think creatively sometimes. But that's, to me, to get back to the, the, the original issue, shootings. That's the common thread. That's the thing that, unfortunately, is a connective tissue. Assault rifles. Get rid of them. Get rid of them. Because then what I believe can happen, because the data backs, for, and, and, and as much as this is my opinion and observation and a little bit of creativity, the data backs it up. If we go back to the assault weapons ban that the then Senator, now President Biden, was a part of getting through Congress, both the House and the Senate. And by the way, civics lesson, people, when you refer to Congress, it's two chambers, the House and the Senate. Congress is not just the House. Y'all need to get that right. I, Henry, I'll be watching something and I'll hear people go, well, Congress is really and they're talking about the House. Or the Senate. That's so infuriating. Come on. Did, did, did you forget civics if you were taught it in any of it? I'm sorry. Just had to digress for a moment. Know that we have two houses federally. I mean, state, we have two houses. So when you talk about Congress, don't refer to it as just the House of Representatives. So when President Biden was a member of uh, the Senate and was part of getting Congress to pass legislation to eliminate Assault rifles, assault weapons ban is what it's called. Um, 
the data shows that, that, you know, shootings went down in that regard. Now, I'm not uh, capable. I don't have the data in front of me to back up how many or what percentages they were down, but they went down. And that's a win. And the people who weren't able to have, uh, they didn't lose out. From what I read, uh, I think it was, a, I'm not, I'm, I want to say something that's not accurate, that the increase in other purchases went up, but the deaths from assault weapons went down. So that's a win for everybody. And to me, that's the approach that needs to be taken. We need to, to eliminate assault weapons. We need to re- or, or bring back the assault weapons ban across the country. Can't own it. Can't you can't. There's no there's there's no um, um, gray area. They are illegal, period. Done. And watch what would happen. A lot of people would be uh, PO'd about it. I caught myself. Yeah, you about to, I almost said something. Can't say. <laughs> Henry, Henry started blushing because he could see my my mouth pursing to say something else. But just to get rid of them. It's easy. It is actually easy. Just just get just have you know people you got to remember political will is really not that complicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, go in front of the house and or the senate and say, "Look, we're getting rid of these. We're we're done because we have we have the evidence of a crime that's been committed and the crime is we haven't taken care of something that's causing death to our citizens. That's the crime." So, a, a, a newly introduced assault weapons ban needs to happen. We need to stop chipping around the edges and trying to get... No. And stop fighting the fight that we're going to change the Second Amendment. That ain't going to happen. Henry, you will be a grandfather (laughs) a long time from now. And we're going to still have what's in the Second Amendment as it relates to a person's right to own a gun. Loosely stated. Even my grandkids will be... Your grandkids are going to be like, damn, how come Gramps didn't get this done? (laughs) Literally. So let's not let's not fight that fight. Let's fight the other fight that's with mostly in most directly and immediately one that we can win. Let's get rid of assault weapons. I, I just I'm 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 hardcore on this one, y'all, because it is it is the through line. It is the thing that repeatedly comes up when we have these shootings. And if we as a country could just get out of the way of the doggone language in the Second Amendment for a minute. Because I can't, I can have a conversation with 10 people and they can't prove to me why they need an assault weapon, an AR-15, an AK-47, and any of the other ones. I don't know what the hell they all are, but the AR-15 seems to be the one that's at the top of the list. Prove to me why you need one. If you tell me you need one, and we've all heard this, 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 this debate or this conversation. If you need one because you want to go target shooting or you want to, uh, you know, for hunting if you're hunting, listen, I grew up with, with, with um, uncles and, and, and members of my family that, that were hunters. They, you know, rifles and, and shotguns and all that. I know how to fire a weapon fairly well. Handgun, shotgun, uh, um, multi-capacity rifle, pretty decent for hunting and target practice. But if I were to take an AR-15 out to hunt... Whatever I kill is going to be so decimated, there's not going to be any value there of whatever I want to then, you know, uh, clean and harvest to, to eat. So, you know, I mean, just stop the BS, y'all. 
get rid of assault weapons first. Let's just get them out of the way. I'm, I'm again, I'm repeating myself for a reason. I'm hardcore on that one because it is the thing that's the most it's, even listen. And this is the other part about this conversation, even where we have people who have some mental issues. Now, that doesn't say that that's not to say that they won't get a different type of weapon. But the kill rate, the assault rate will go down dramatically because those guns don't have the same capacity. Exactly. So. All right. So I see you guys out there. Um, and I think so do we have time to grab a quick call before we go to the break? Should we take one or should we sit tight? Let's grab one. Let's grab one. All right. Well, let's let's uh, let's go to Pam on the west side of Chicago. There is no other. Good morning, Pam. Welcome to the Santita Jackson show. This is Richard Chu. How are you? Good morning, Richard. Uh, overall, I'm well. How are you? Doing great, thanks. Thanks for calling in. I see you've got some. Uh, you've got your uh, your wish list and a couple other items. Uh, hit us with it. Okay, let me just ask: Am I going to be able to allow allow to answer the question, Richard, the way I want to? And if you need clarification, and if it's time, we can have some back and forth. We absolutely okay? can go back and forth. The only thing that's going to impede okay. that is that we have a break okay. coming no, up, so we may have to pause you into the break. Okay. But uh, hit us with it, Pam. What you got? Okay, good. So let me just start by uh, what you've asked um, regarding uh, the mayoral race. I- I'm going to tell who I'm supporting because I-, I believe full disclosure is necessary. Okay. Maybe I'm biased on some issues. That's why I don't have to work- worry about trying to influence anyone, but just for full disclosure. And I wish everybody would, to be quite honest. But here we go. So I am supporting Brandon John for mayor. And uh, the the top two that I'd like to see, if it is not Brandon, I will accept uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Okay, uh, good. Because I can articulate something with each candidate. But here's what, what I'm, I'm concerned about the city. I want the, the fifth floor. I want that Trump-proof, MAGA-proof, Republican-proof. Just as we did our state executive position and every position um, uh, that follows. That is important to me, Richard, because we see where the Republican ideology, philosophy, and their uh, allegiance to these hate groups, where that's going. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to get influence. So for me, it is my belief that uh, Willie Wilson is a Republican. It is my belief that Paul Vallis is a Republican or a very moderate Democrat, if you will. But to have those questions posed to them and they lie about it is very problematic for me. I'm going to ask, what is the motive for you running for mayor? That's important. Mm -hmm. Because each individual running has power within their own right. But, Richard, we know that some of these candidates are not in it to win. Mm. We just simply know this. Because of their, um, because they're first-time candidates, or because of their funds, or just because of what I'm hearing—the rhetoric. Now, yeah. yeah. And I mean, we have to just be honest about that. So, if you're not serious about running, winning, why are you running? Because yeah. we have too many candidates that will dilute the black vote. That's real. Mm-hmm. And Richard, I live on the west side of Chicago. I see the crime. I'm out here trying to talk to drug dealers to stop it, to do it. So I'm not new to this game. I may not be a part of any organization. I'm a member of PUSH. I'm a member of NAN. 
But, you know, people ask about, well, where are you affiliated? I'm not trying to be affiliated with any organization that in front of the camera, you're pro-black. But behind the camera, you're calling black people the N-word. Mm-hmm. I'm not playing that game, Richard. So I'm, I'm supporting Brandon Johnson. I've been to some of his events. I like the fact that in front of the city club, he said, look, in front of these wealthy business people, we still have a tale of two cities. Mm-hmm. You have a role in trying to correct that. Yeah. When, when Willie Wilson says um, we have to take the handcuffs off the police and put them on the criminal, I know firsthand that that is a lie. There yeah. are no handcuffs on police officers. They did a lockdown when they were under the leadership of FOP John Cantazero. See, I know things that you I'm, I, and I'm, you know, I know things as a citizen of Chicago. Yeah, you can't just run anything. Jamal said that Brandon is a liar; that he has no lived experience. Are you serious? Yeah, Paul Ballard, you want to use your law enforcement family to give you uh, credibility? You would be a law enforcement mayor. But when we look at the record of your family in law enforcement, you want to back away from that. Yeah. So you can't have it both ways, Richard. Yes. So no, Pam, and I wanted to give you the space to 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 put that out there and I and I appreciate you being candid about it because you're right. Um that is the I use the phrase mealing mouth when I, you know, uh in front of the camera a politician says one thing behind the camera they're saying and doing different things. What I found to be consistent is that Brandon Johnson is in front of and behind or off camera uh consistent. And that I like. And I also like his message. And I like the fact that he's speaking to the fact that we need to build, rebuild from the ground up. And yes, we do have a tale of this. I mean, a lot of phraseology here, but the reality is he's striking on some points that a lot of people, um, frankly, other than Mayor Lightfoot, are talking about. And it is a, it is a, a tough needle to thread. However, um, some creative ways of doing it are more are going to be more useful than just the state old let's you know um, let's hire more police officers and that's going to fix crime. Well, where are you going to get the sixteen hundred, seventeen hundred people that are going to do the job? Don't answer anything right now, Pam. I'm going to take you through the break and stay with us until we come back because I know you have a few more things to say. This is and I'll be happy to answer any question you have, Richard. Yeah, sit tight, Pam. We're going we're gonna to put you on hold and come back to you after the break. Uh, this is Richard Chu sitting in for Santita Jackson. The number is 773-763-9278. We will be right back. This is the Santita Jackson Show. If you're selling your home and or purchasing a new home and would like to save thousands of dollars and need to, you need to call the Team Hotberg, your trusted local lender. Team Hotberg is offering everyone their peaks at work benefit through the end of April which can save you thousands of dollars in the next, the next time you buy or sell a home. Here's how it works. When a team Hochberg affiliated realtor sells your home, they'll reduce their fee up to 1%. When a team Hochberg affiliate realtor helps you purchase a home, 
you will receive up to 1% of their commission as a closing cost credit. Team Hochberg will credit their loan origination fee, fee and their affiliated attorney will pre- reduce his fee or her fee, as it were. A couple saved close to $9,000 using perks at work when they sold their home and purchased a new home. To learn how you can save thousands of dollars in the next the next time you buy or sell a home, give Team Hockberg a call, 855-56-DAVID, or visit 56david.com. That's 855-563-2843, or 56david.com. Lower.com equal housing lender, NMLS 1124061. And we're back. That was me in the commercial. And now this is me on the Santita Jackson Show. 773-763-9278. Hey, Henry, let's, uh, let's bring Pam back on the line for a, uh, a last little bit. Hey, Pam. Yes, I'm here. All right, cool. I'm glad you're still with us. I didn't want to uh, drop you during the break. So, listen, I'm with you. I um, I think that our, our the, the the folks running for office need to speak their truth in front of and behind the uh, the camera or off camera, whatever you want to call it. Um, West Side, South Side, different neighborhoods of the city of Chicago all have their issues. We can we could talk for days about the imbalance and why. But this is the thing that I always ask. I've had friends. Um, and folks ask me this question over the years, Pam, why the city of Chicago or certain neighborhoods, South Side, West Side, have their issues with education, schools and safety and this, that and the other. And my answer is, why are you asking me about this in the current time? Why aren't you asking me? And, and Henry and I were talking about history during the break. Why aren't you asking me how it got here 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago? What was happening then and has happened since then? That has um, uh, that caused and furthered the decimation of neighborhoods in the city of Chicago. That, to me, is the question nobody seems to want to ask, answer, get in the weeds on. Brandon did a little bit, and then some of his platforms seem to touch on that. And so does the current mayor Lightfoot to, to some extent. Everybody seems to be afraid to have that conversation. And then, along with that, Pam, where did those resources go? Because they they left those communities, those those resources, education, um, uh, employment uh, resources left. Where did they go? And how did those and and the places that they went? What did those neighborhoods and communities look like? And by the way, Pam, you and I, you and I both know this. Those neighborhoods that that drafted those resources are not all in the city of Chicago or in Cook County, for that matter. Am I right or wrong there? You're absolutely right. You're absolutely correct. I remembered vividly my, you know, some of my uncles and older cousins working in in manufacturing positions on in in the in in the automotive industry and other manufacturing areas on the south side, certainly on the west side. Those jobs left as it as has happened with a lot of cities in in, in the in, throughout the country, but certainly in the north mid uh, Midwest. But where did those resources go? What communities benefited when those communities lost? That, to me, is a conversation that nobody wants to have. And I'll give the mayor a little bit of props here. She was, she's in the, was in the process, and correct me if I'm wrong here, or at least steer me a little bit better, of um, working to build this tech center on the west side. And she's sure. ca- she caught hell, not from people on the west side, necessarily. She caught hell from people that were these same business people that you were talking about that mm-hmm. seem to be putting barriers up, no pun intended, to prevent that from going on the west side. 
well, then stop complaining about the problems on the west side. If you're going to put barriers up to prevent the, a mayor or any poli- a leader from building something that's going to help economic sustainability, then shut the hell up. I'm sorry. And Richard, and I'll say this, and I'm on public record, um, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. The same resources that went to rebuild the West Loop, uh, you invest in the North. The South and West Side, we need those same resources in addition to some that perhaps deal with substance abuse. Mm-hmm. I mean, if people are working, which is, let's start with this, because you always have the complaint, well, people don't want to work, people on drugs. That's crazy. People on drugs. Let's start with this. What about the people who do want to work? Mm-hmm. What about the people who are on drugs and can pass a drug test? Because last I checked, Richard, those people are unemployed. What about the college-educated people who can't get jobs in their fields in Chicago? Mm-hmm. Richard, you're talking about the resources, and that is absolutely correct. That's a that's an infrastructure. Public schools. Yeah, infrastructure. That, I like to see, how about this? I thought we have infrastructure that ensures that... Um, accessibility for all, mm-hmm. but don't, you know, all challenge, physical challenges or whatever, accessibility for all. Yeah. You I can't agree. even get that. So, so that's the platform that we need to be talking about is, and it starts from the ground up. Um, and I've and said this, may I ask you, may I ask you one more question? Sure. And then I'll hang up. I know you have other callers. Richard, I'm concerned about the business community. And because it seems like they have a lot of influence as to what can happen in this city. Mm-hmm. So what happens, Richard, when the business community, and I know I'm generalizing, not all, but when the business community supports elected officials who have policies that hurt the collective working class, middle class, and poor communities? Because right now there's a battle of whether or not to pay fair wages and have um, fair benefits. Versus, it seems like these CEOs who want to profit, and I call it profiteering price gouging, or just don't even want to offer safe working environment. So, what happens when you have that conflict? Well, and it I'll can. Hang up and listen, Richard. Pam, thanks for calling in. Have a great day today and stay safe. We appreciate you calling. So, listen, um, Pam's question is a good one, and it's one that I've I've toyed with for for a long time. The the intersection of business to the community and of course the community of business is also the people that work for, for um, respective companies. Um, I'm not a labor expert. Um, I don't think I'm an expert in anything, but I, I think I'm fairly well versed in this, in this area. And that is we keep revisiting something known as, you know, employment, employee treatment, employee services, um, health and welfare of employees now, I don't think that we've got as much of an issue as we did decades ago when it comes to uh, uh, safety, as uh, workplace safety. I don't mean in terms of gun violence, to link back to that. I'm talking about in terms of um, when we were more manufacturing industry type of country and, and economy, that was a big deal. And, and unions were strong in that conversation. Um, but I do think that we have gaps when it comes to our safety as it relates to the health and medical care for employees. Now, that's a national conversation as much as it is a local conversation or regional conversation. Um, and we can get into the whole, the, the, get into the depths of, uh, is our medical system 
causing, and I'm talking about insurance, treatment, care, is that um, where we've got issues now in the workplace? And one would say yes, because we're, you know, we've got too many people going bankrupt because of a medical bill. Okay, we have too many people that can't take time off because they don't have the proper coverage and they're, they're trying to you know juggle the balls of this, that and the other. So that's an issue. That's a national issue. Um, but it also impacts people regionally and, and locally. So to Pam's question, what do we do in that space? If, if I understood her question correctly and interpreting it correctly, um, we we have to lean on businesses harder. We have to stop giving them the tax breaks that they say they need to have their businesses in a certain area. Um, so that they will, they'll stay there or they'll come there and stay there. Part of the, the, the guidelines need to be, if we're going to give as a community, a business tax breaks to be in that community, then they need to have all their T's crossed and I's dotted when it comes to making sure that their employees are taken care of, that they've got the proper benefits that they've got, um, obviously a safe work environment, that the company has done the work to make sure their employees can work in a good, in a uh, good safe environment. And I mean safety from a, um, a benefit standpoint. Um, it's, I'm not, listen, capitalists, yes, people, businesses, people need to make as much money as they possibly can, want to, blah, blah, blah. We, we get that. I've said that before. However, if companies, um, the, we clearly have an imbalance in the compensation as it relates to the people that are doing the real work. You know, I've, I've, I've met with, know, and talked with and interact with numbers of C-suite people. And yes, they work hard. And the people who are not C-suite people work just as hard. Okay. So that we that imbalance in compensation needs to be adjusted across the board in the country. We need to adjust, not saying that they shouldn't be making as much, but that the that the compensation for people across the board needs to be raised. A rising tide lifts all ships. And companies spend too much money in places where they need to spend less and provide more benefits and greater uh, compensation for people. Raising the minimum wage is one, but also raising the middle wage is another. You know, 1% increase, a 2% increase for somebody that is working and making, you know, uh, mid to high five figures, that has nothing. That's nothing. Their tax, their, their taxable income is going to deplete that increase in their salary. So, you know, that, that to me is where businesses are missing it. And we need to, as a society, lean into them a little bit harder. Listen, we got to grab other calls. Um, let's get Greg calling in. Hey, Greg, what's going on? Welcome to the Santita Jackson show. Greg? Do you have us on mute? Yes. Good morning. Uh, I uh, I I wanted to ask you, uh, Mr. Chu, if you knew about ranked choice voting. Some people think that would be a great idea for Chicago because we have so many great candidates and we want to be able to, to kind of hedge our bets. But uh, I don't understand ranked choice voting exactly. But maybe you could tell us what that is. If you don't, maybe in the future you could educate us on what ranked choice voting is. I'll tell you what, I'll talk about it from what I know, um, and then now when I get too deep, I'll, I'll press pause. So conceptually, it's giving the, um, the voters the ability to pick a primary, and if you want to say it this way, a secondary candidate. And I don't want to say that secondary meaning negatively, but it does give people the ability uh, to vote for who they want to vote for 
And then if their candidate's not the chosen one, I should say that it sounds awful. If their candidate is not the winner, then um, we go to what's essentially the second um, uh, second level, if you will, or preferential voting. So um, it's it's a ranking system. It's it, it gives people the ability to to choose their primary candidate. But if their candidate doesn't win, um, and I think as I understand, I think it does. It can. Um, uh, I don't want to say force or runoff, but it can it can require that uh, that election um, has to there has to be an additional election. So, I, like I said, I'm not I'm not going to go too deep in the waters on that. Will rank um, will that impact Chicago in a positive way? I don't know. I mean, again, I, I I'm traditionalist, if you will. I think what probably needs to be looked at is, you know, you you pick your candidate. Let me, let me put it to you this way, Gregory, to, to give you a cleaner answer. Um, I think that the candidates run and the person that gets the most amount of votes is the, is the elected official. We keep it simple. Sometimes we get too complicated with certain things. And I think out in uh, Oregon, they have ranked choice voting. And I think in um, in Washington, I'm not certain on that. So don't quote me. However, I think just like in our general election, I want us to get rid of the um, the Electoral College. I mean, I do. I've said that for years. I know you didn't ask me about general election, but in our national, I think we need to get rid of the, the Electoral College. It's born out of the um, enslavement part of this country. We need to get rid of it. Just like we got rid of uh, enslavement and slavery, we need to get rid of um, the Electoral College. And it's and then the, the who the citizens the, who gets the most amount of votes is the winner. And we start all over again. So in Chicago, uh, would ranked choice voting um, work? I don't know if it would work. Would, so would it solve any of the voting? Because we, we never really, to my recollection, we've never had an issue with voting, um, you know, hinkiness in Chicago, at least not in the last 30, 40, 50 years. So the number one person is the winner, in, in my opinion. And I'm not trying to convince you differently. I'm just saying, that it does, let's not complicate something that is running fairly well right now. But we have a complicated uh, society, and we need to have more than just one choice. I mean, this is the way uh, Brandon Johnson could get up to then face off in a runoff, because you're going to go maybe with a Chewy Garcia, but then you want a Brandon Johnson as your second choice. You might want a Paul Vallis. You might want a Willie Wilson, but then Brandon Johnson. But if your main candidate doesn't do it, then Brandon Johnson has a chance. And a lot of people might, might have the majority of second choice uh, selections. And that's where that's where that's where I kind of again I go back to that that ranking system that second your second choice. And I guess to, to be honest with you, that's the predicate of my uh, asking who are your top two choices. Um, but. So, again, that's why I said from the when I started answering your question, not being an expert in this space, I get the value of it. If your first candidate doesn't win and you have a second candidate and he or she gets to gets the number of votes, then that's I mean, I, I, I do get the 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 ranking logic behind it. Um, so My two choices are Brandon Johnson and. And Willie Wilson, I wanted Chewy Garcia, but then 
<clears throat> I was listening to one of the talk shows hosts, who Mr. Hendon, Ricky Hendon, who said that he was in the Harold Washington Rainbow Coalition, <clears throat> but then over time, when more Latinos got into position in Springfield, he wanted to go with the Hispanic Caucus instead, which was understandable. But then when they came to redistricting in the congressional the districts here in Chicago, he took from the black vote instead of taking from maybe the white district over there on the southwest side of Chicago. So he described him as kind of an opportunist. Uh, and after the Los Angeles City Council members got surreptitiously taped and disgraced the Latino community with their with their racism, yeah. then all of what came out of there, I'm concerned about the Latino community trying to harbor too much of the resources for themselves and not working as a rainbow coalition is what we need in America. Yeah. But uh, ranked choice voting would allow everybody's largest second choice to pop up and then go into a runoff. Yeah. And finally, I would like the red. I would like the red flag uh, system to help people cross crosswalks where you can pick up the red flag to get the cars to stop, so you can get across safely. We have thousands of cro- crosswalks that don't have a stop sign or a traffic light with them, and the motorists here have the culture of thinking that the pedestrian has to wait till the coast is clear if we don't yield to them, and that's wrong, and it's hazardous, and it's backward. Yeah, I, I appreciate Greg, thanks for calling in, and um, I, I see the, um, the strength of rank choice, voting, rank choice voting when it comes to when you've got a number of candidates running. And, I mean, the, some of the other derivatives that you brought up in terms of, uh, of what Chewy has done and how he's uh, shifted a little bit, um, I, I've noticed that, too. I'm not going to point any fingers at it as it relates to, a, you know, a cultural shift. But that has happened. And, yeah, I mean, listen, bias and racism exist. And what I always tell people is you have to look at where it's coming from and who it's directed at. Um, and then when you look at it that way, you see that it does exist. And that's that is one of the things that that unfortunately what took place in Los Angeles's city council um, pointed out. So but again, coming back to how we can affect the voting in, in the city of Chicago, do we need ranked choice voting? I don't know if it's going to change anything necessarily, Henry. I think, uh, and I, I think that Greg made some good points. Um, but I think also what I really want to see change, and we talked about this earlier, what I want to see happen more so is more people out to vote. I think that's the biggest thing. If that- more people come out to vote, then you're getting a true measure. Eric says this often on the family meeting, and, I, and I've adopted it too. Voting should be mandatory. I because I so agree. You you don't I don't care you don't get to lean on I don't like the candidates, they're all corrupt and all these other, you know, sort of lazy A ways. So weak. It's it's weak. You need to vote. Pick somebody. You don't have to agree. Listen, my mother and father and I had our battles. We didn't agree on everything. I mean, I was still respectful, don't get me wrong when I say battles. They were still my mom and dad. But they gave me the platform to as my father used to say, speak your case. Mm-hmm. Be able to defend it. But my point is, you're not going to agree with everybody. You have to find what the common ground is and move forward. So as a voter, you got to look at it and say the candidate, you know, she doesn't have or he doesn't have everything that I want. But they're probably most aligned with what I'd like to see get done. Exactly. And I'm, well, that's why I'm going to kind of circle back a little bit to where we started about the candidates need to do what I would say is a better job of reaching to the other candidates saying, listen, um, 
I like some of the stuff that you're saying. I want to bring you into the tent so we can get stuff done for the city of Chicago. And I say that nationally, you know, regionally, nationally as well. Um, so coming back to uh, to this thing about what should be changed or not changed, but certainly improved, everybody needs to vote. You can't you can't rest on your laurels of the excuse that the candidates aren't good enough. They're all politicians. They're all lying. No, like 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 Henry said, that's weak. That's not taking responsibility. And then you complain about things that are not right, but you didn't take your behind out to vote. You kind of lose the opportunity to whine about something if you aren't going to do something in the midst. That's why I believe that's why um, I take the positions that I do. Um, I believe that you have to fight for the stuff that you find important. It may frustrate some people personally, politically, socially, business, but you you can't sit back and complain about stuff if you don't actively get involved. You just can't. Um, and I think if you, you know, we could look at ranked choice voting. Is it going to solve the problem? No. It's What's going to happen is it's going to create, I think it could potentially create more consternation. But if more people just get out and vote, the greater number of people voting is going to provide the candidates with something for sure. And that is you can't rest on a few. Because, see, this is the, this is the game a little bit. If candidates realize that and this happens on a national level, the suppression of vote winnows the field, which allows um, the voting mechanism to be directed toward the candidate that suppression wants to get elected. Got in the weeds a little bit there. But if you all can separate my words on that, that's why voter suppression on any level in any community of any group is a kiss of death when it comes to getting things done politically. So the fix to voter suppression, in my opinion, or voter reduction or disenfranchisement is mandatory voting. Again, if you don't, I mean, Eric says... (laughs) I won't repeat what he said, but if you don't vote, then you get this. You something got is you something's got to be taken away. <laughs> I'm sounding harsh. Don't mean to sound harsh. I try to sound inspiring, but something's got to be. You know, if you don't voting should be mandatory. The national uh, the, the 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 national election should be a holiday. Mm-hmm. You know, it should be a national day that everybody can take off. Listen, Henry. I've looked at enough books of companies, meaning their financials, and I've looked at enough uh, financial information at large to tell you that if everybody had the voting the, the voting day in your city, your region, and nationally as a day that wasn't a, a vacation day that you had to take from your bank of vacation days or sick, day, sick days or family leave days, or any, but just a day that our country recognized this is the one thing that we should all embrace and have in common. Voter turnout would go up and we would get people elected because then politicians couldn't rest on their laurels because they know that it's, a, it's mandatory. And guess what? Folks are not trying to struggle to get the day off to go vote. So if I ran the world, <laughs> I would make that part of everything I said as a politician, wherever I am. It is a it's a day we're going to put together the legislation so that voting is a day for everybody to use to, to go and vote. 
an employer can't be leaning on their people about, nope, you can't vote. We've got these business reports. No, wait a minute. No, 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 no. That's not, that's not going to work any longer. And sometimes I look at things from a very, um, you know, a bright-eyed and bushy-tailed perspective because I believe that that's going to further the country to move forward. So coming back to what Gregory asked about, you know, ranked choice voting, I don't think we need it if we make voting mandatory and not a, a problem for people to have to be able to get out and vote in any community. That That's me not being necessarily idealistic. Some might view it that way because... They don't want to see it happen. But that might solve what is part of what Greg's concerns are. Let's make it mandatory. Got to do it. You know, and, and hell, we, we've, we've made other things mandatory. <laughs> you know, if you don't wear your seatbelt, guess what? You get pulled over, you're going to get a ticket for it, and it's expensive. By the way, it's more expensive than getting out to vote. <laughs> the, ticket, the, the ticket for not wearing your seatbelt is a bigger ticket than if you don't go out and vote. So listen, we ran through the break. Ah, the number is 773-763-9278. I'm Richard Chu sitting in for Santita Jackson. We will be right back. This is the Santita Jackson Show. And we are back. This is Richard Chu sitting in for Santita Jackson here on WCPT, the number 773-763-9278. Ranked choice voting was a question that came uh, to us from our, our, our listener, Greg uh, Gregory. And I'm again, I, I'm not uh, I'm not a professor in that space. I understand the basic tenets of it, uh, which, you know, the voters are are going to rank their candidates and um, based on their preference of who they'd like to see. Um and again, I think the solution isn't isn't ranked choice voting. I think the solution is, as Henry and I were talking about on air and off here, is just to make voting mandatory. Everybody has to vote. If you've got a social security number, you got a, and you're of age, you have to vote. And that, to me, raises it, it. It does a lot of things, but a couple of very simple things it does, as I was saying to Henry during the break, it in, it inspires. I believe it would inspire force. Uh, more education, more in, in information, more awareness of who the candidates are, what's really going on. And with all the access that we have to so much data online, excuse me, um, I think it would improve the quality of the candidates and it would force candidates to really speak to voters. Henry said this as well. It it would it would put it would make candidates say, listen, we got to reach we got to reach out to everybody and not just go after singular groups any longer, because now you got people voting across the board. That's how I see it. So rather than, you know, ranked choice voting, mandatory voting across the board. If you got a social and you're of age, got to vote. You can't complain. You know, like penalty for complaining. Red flag. You know, you get thrown a flag on the play if you if you complain and you 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 know you're not voting. So, anyhow, let's um let's grab this quick caller. It looks like we got John calling from somewhere in Indiana. What's going on, John? Yes, Welcome. Sir. Hi. Uh, you know, I watch the election uh, in Chicago. I live in Hammond, but uh, I work in Chicago, so uh, Chicago is very important to me. I went to school in Chicago. Lived in Chicago. I live in Hammond. I've lived in Hammond my whole life, but I, I did live when I was going to school in Chicago. But anyway, the point is, 
I remember when Harold Washington ran, and they, the black community in particular coalesced behind him, and he came in like a freight train, and he won that election. And unfortunately, as you know, he passed away um, in his term. But uh, the fact is, the black community needs to coalesce behind one candidate, or they're going to be on the outs. I mean, what is what is with uh, these egos? I mean, I like Jamal Green, but he's 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 polling around one or one or two percent. I like Miss King; she's awesome, but she's polling you know two percent. Why can't they sit down and coalesce behind one candidate? I don't care who it is. Hey, John, I got to tell you something, man. So listen, first of all, two things, something you said that I, I applaud you for saying and I appreciate you for saying it. And make sure you call into the family meeting on Sunday. You said that you, you know, you were educated here. You live in Hammond and have most of your life. What you said that I appreciate is how is that Chicago is important to you. That means a lot to me. And, I, and the reason for it is a lot of people who don't live in Chicago but may work here or whatever, um, they complain about Chicago, but they work here, they draw resources from here, and they live someplace else. Rarely do you hear someone say that th- Chicago is important to them. So I need to give you a high five for saying that because I, I yeah, wish more you. people would say that. Now, to your point, I'm with you, John. Listen, um, I don't know what community culturally you come from, but I'll tell you, I agree with that because I was just talking to my wife about this that she shared with me, a friend of, of ours is voting for Miss King. That's cool, like you said. But doggone it, if the, I mean, in any community, let's just be honest, let's get behind a candidate and stop splitting. You're absolutely right. I was watching one of my favorite, uh, uh, Dr. Frazier was talking about the dilution of power in any community is when you get a lot of individuals who think that they don't need to work with other people to get things done. And John, at the beginning of the show, I said that whoever gets elected needs to tap back into the other candidates and say, look, if you what if what you said is true about how important the city of Chicago is, then don't go run, roll up your tent and go away for the next four years. You need to stay engaged and stay in the in the in the process. And I don't care if you're black, white, green, purple, Hispanic, you know, Italian, Mexican, whatever. Y'all could get upset with me for, for, for that statement, but my point comes from a good space. We have to coalesce. And if it's in the black community or if it's in any community, once the mayor is elected, y'all need to shut the hell up and get behind moving the city forward. If John can live in Hammond and still say that the city of Chicago is important to him, then other people who live in this city need to say the same doggone thing. The city is important to them. Those candidates need to shut the heck up after the election's over and get behind whoever got elected to move the city forward. Now, yeah, yeah. I mean, am I crazy here, John, or, or what? No, no. I'll even go you one better. I mean, you think about what Joe Biden did when he won South Carolina. It basically forced everybody in the Democratic Party to get behind Joe. There it is. That's how we beat Trump. That's what okay. it, that's and, and also, it, and if you want to look at Chicago history, I mean, I hate to bring up the mob, okay? <laughs> because I watch a lot of old movies, you know, with Capone and those guys. You and me both. Go ahead, man. When you have all their mob bosses all over the place, they had to call behind one boss, okay? And even during those times, I'm talking about the roaring 20s and 30s, you know? Yeah. Uh, 
you know, but I, that's a bad analogy. But the point no, I get your point. Is, I, at least I get where I think you're going. Behind somebody, right? Right. Yeah. No, and that that that's that's uh, to me that's that's a, actually teamwork, and that's where leadership comes in. Is like, listen, I, I'm not going to score every point. Every I heard an interesting um, uh, conversation. Isaiah Thomas was talking about the reason that they won the two championships with the Pistons that they did is that Mark Aguirre, if you re- and I know you remember Mark Aguirre because he's from Chicago. Sure. You sound like you're you've been around long enough to know who he oh, really. Yeah. He Isaiah said Mark Aguirre recognized that Dennis Rodman had certain skill sets that he didn't have. And Mark Aguirre said that he would play less minutes to get the energy that Dennis brought to the Pistons when he got traded from Dallas. So that same thing, I think, applies here. Once the new mayor is elected, reelected, then everybody else needs to shut the hell up about your agenda and look at the bigger picture of what's going to work to coalesce as a community to move forward. Now, whoever gets elected has got to be willing and open, don't you think, John, to say, look, I'm embracing y'all. We don't agree. We don't have to agree on everything, but we have to agree on one thing, which is we have to move the city forward. Absolutely. And take a little Absolutely. bit of everybody's great ideas. Let's prioritize them and then get them done. That is one of the reasons that Harold Washington was successful as a politician. And then as the mayor, it's because he made it clear Y'all need to shut the hell up if you're not on team on on point with going forward. That's one of the things that he did so very very. In my opinion, he did so very well, and 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 I I think that that is is good leadership. And John, from a voting standpoint, yeah, I mean, I, nine people running. I mean, come on, y'all. I mean, listen, um, I, I'm not against any of the candidates. I just think that they need to say, wait a minute, I'm gonna throw my energy behind this person. And my wife's friend yeah. voted for Miss King because. As, as, um, and others who voted for other, you know, candidates or are voting for other candidates and so forth and so on. Listen, that's great, but you know, I don't want to out anybody. But at the end, of, at the end of the day, um, it's not that you're wasting your vote because your vote's your vote. But if your goal is to get things done, then let's do it a little bit differently. And I blame that somewhat on the candidates. And I think, John, that's kind of what you were saying is some of them yeah. need to go, listen, I'm done. I'm going to pull out of the race. I'm going to get behind this person because I'm I'm better aligned, not most. I'm better aligned with where he or she is going. And these are my and, and put and put a and put a caveat on that. And for you to get my votes, you're going to need to do these things so that we all benefit. Does that make sense, John? Is that crazy? Exactly. exactly. And it almost like, you know, there should be a meeting. <laughs> I'm telling you, especially with the black candidates, because let's face it, that the, the black community has been, you, you could argue, disempowered, disinvested for all these years. Now is the time to come together for the greater good. You know, uh, just one other aside is look at President Obama. He did kind of the same thing. He got Joe was was someone in running against him, made him vice president. Uh, Hillary was running against him, made her secretary of state. He 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 put all these people on his staff, and it's the same kind of deal. Yeah, listen, you, you're you're awesome. I appreciate your comments. I got to run, and I know you do too. But I thank you uh, for the good work you're doing. You too, John. Be safe out there, man, and call, get, call us back. We appreciate your call. We'll we'll do. Thank you. All right. So you know, Henry. Uh, what what John said is spot on. I mean, the the, the vote inside of, and I'm going to say this because of the, way, the where he put it, 
um, the vote inside of the black community as it relates to who's running for mayor right now. I, I would agree with him. Um, they they may not agree with where the leading candidates are, but find a way to find some common ground. Um, because one percent of the vote is important. It's not it's not not important or two percent of the vote. It's not not important when you have a race where you had nine people running and the total votes diluted. So he makes a good point there. And I, I think that. Um, but again, that 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 goes back to some of the non galvanization of the leadership at large, not saying, OK, we need to pull together and. And, you know, and I, I'm certainly one that to, to to believe or at least think about the fact that no one group is monolithic and only votes or views things in, in, in one direction uh, or is that linear. Um, but again, leadership, I believe, fixes that or certainly makes it better when you bring people together and coalesce around common ideas, then you're going to get something done. And that that to me is what, you know, successful business leaders have done successful coaches have done, successful politicians have done, is they've said, where are we going? Our strength is in coalescing. We don't have to agree on everything. But what we have to agree on is what are the what are the priorities and that how those priorities, if they're if they're um, what's the word I want to say, if those priorities are are aligned with the largest percentages of people, then we'll get more things done. So, I mean, I'm, I'm repeating some of what John said. Um, and he makes a good point. Not everybody's going to agree with, you know, coalescing around a singular candidate. Um, but I think at some point, you know, it dilutes the bigger picture, which is to get the most people out to vote so that the most that the more people that are voting, the greater chance we have to getting um, people elected that represent the largest number of people. So it's kind of a it. I guess you could say it's a little bit of the chicken and the egg uh, conversation. If we have better politicians, will more people come out? Or if we have more people come out where we have better politicians, I think they can run kind of along their way. So we've got some callers that we want to try to grab real quick before we wrap up because we're pushing the top of the hour. Um, let's uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's grab uh, Rick from Fort Lauderdale. Rick, are you there? Good morning, Richard. Hey, how are you? Good, 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 good. Very, I'm very well. I understand you've got some answers to our top four questions today. Well, I, I, you know, I kind of think so. I mean, I, you know, in terms of uh, offering my top two, it's a little bit late for that because I have uh, early voted already. And okay. I, when I was in town a couple of weeks ago, and um, I, well, I am a strong supporter of Lori Lightfoot and Mayor Lightfoot and. You know, the, the main reason is, I think, given um, given what our country has gone through the last few years as, as we have now come out of, of COVID, has given, I, I feel that she has done a, a, a really good job when she was faced with the challenges that the whole country was facing. And I commend her for standing her ground on making masks mandatory and keeping the city safe. It's citizens who she represents. Yep. And so I just feel that, you know, and including the violence and, and everything that's happened, you know, during her last term, I feel that she has done 
uh, a well enough job that she deserves another chance. And this time, uh, I'm expecting her to shine. Well, we need to hold. I I I, I agree with that. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna um, push us through because we've got to get me to the top of the hour. Um, I applaud the mayor. Of course, uh, I applaud uh, 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 President Preckwinkle and uh, Governor uh, Pritzker. They did what needed to get needed to be done during the height of the pandemic. I've said that publicly and privately. I'll say it again. That doesn't mean that everything else that they've done has been perfect. I don't look for that in, in our elected officials. I look for continuity. I look for coalition. I look for consistency. I've said that before. She did a good job there. And let's face it, this is the third largest city in America. It's a beast. It's a battleship. It takes sometimes. And I don't agree with the mayor on everything. You know, she can be a little bit combative. I've said that. And I, to a great extent, yeah. want to see her do better in her second term. She has to. She owes that to the city. Yeah. But the citizens of the city of Chicago need to step up as well. Stop whining and get in the mix. And to, and to me, that includes the other candidates in running. And Brandon Johnson, who I like a lot. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not afraid to. I'm confident in saying that. I think he's going to do very well and he's going to continue to do well. I, they are my top two people. I have no problem saying that. And, I, and the reason that I say it is because they've shown me something that the other candidates haven't. And that speaks volumes to their awareness. The mayor is combative as hell. We know that. She needs to soften in some areas in that space. And I don't say that because she's a woman. I say that because it's not good politically. Anybody wants to challenge me on that, bring it on. And I support the fact that she can do good if we get behind her and get some of these other dissenting voices to shut the hell up. Now, that being said, you know, we'll see what happens. So, Rick, listen, we're pushing the hour. I'd love to. You know, I don't want to cut you off, man, but I got to. I'm, I'm glad you were able to get that in. And um, I'm glad you're doing well. And we will talk soon. Give us a call on Sunday in the family meeting. You better call. All right, man. Be safe. Good to hear from you. Let's see. We're quickly going to grab, and I've got a question to answer from someone that uh, sent me a text message. Um, uh, let's grab this quick call from Mazali. Disagrees on coalitions. Go for it. What you got? Hi. Um, yeah. Uh, thanks for the wonderful uh, conversation today. Uh, I just like to say Christians know what, about the chicken and the egg because God and the Bible doesn't say God created eggs. Okay. So that's just everybody who wants That's Christians the Bible. Um, but as far as uh, politicians, you know, if you don't ever run, nobody will know you. So a lot of those who get in the race, they're trying to build a reputation, and we have to acknowledge that. Uh, and then there is the a coalition behind the person who is running and the coalition behind the person who has won. Those are two different things. And yeah. I just wanted to that out. And they both are important. But people need to be able to make choices. So that's why you have these people running. And if people pay attention and, you know, be interested in their governing and in their government, then they will make good choices. Great point. Thank so, you so much for calling in. Yeah. So you all have done a wonderful job, though. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Leslie. Have a great day. Thanks for calling in. So, yeah, I mean, that's I get that. I get that. And at the end of the day, I still think I go back to something that's part of the question that I was asked offline is. So if people uh, were if we had to mandatory, if, we, if it were mandatory that we had to vote local, regional, national elections and people didn't, what's the penalty for that? I don't know what the penalty is. 
But I know the thing that's the counter to that is stop complaining when things don't get done. I think, you know, can we make voting mandatory? I think we can look at it. Should we do it? I think we should do it because not enough people are are participating in the political process. I have family, friends, business associates across the board in all factions of my life that complain about how things are, but they won't take their behind to the voting booth. So if you're going to complain about it, then do something about it. Get involved. Don't sit back and not and not just complain for complaint's sake. And everything's awful. And these politicians are all corrupt and blah, 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 blah. Okay, fine. Maybe mandatory voting isn't the way to go. But then shut up if you don't vote. I don't want to hear anything from you if you don't vote in any of the elections in the area that you are. Should there be a penalty if it became mandatory and you didn't? Yes. I don't know what that is. Would it be monetary? It's possible. It could be. It could be small. It may not have to be. It could be something. I don't know what that is. I'm tired of people complaining and not doing a damn thing. Get involved. You don't have to be right about right with, but you got to get in the mix because that's the, that's part of the problem. Not enough people are involved and you can't say it's because the politicians suck. Or they're not good, you know, the, you, you, you can't say that's the reason. you got to vote. So that's, that's, that's kind of my uh, soapbox on that because not enough people are voting in any of our elections. And, too many, and see, this also solves the issue with voter suppression because that's a big deal on a national level. Too many people of color and women and young folks are being blocked from voting. That has got to end. I know we're coming up on the top of the hour. Listen, guys, thanks for listening and staying with us here in WCPT. This is Richard Chu uh, from the family meeting sitting in for Santita Jackson. It's been a pleasure to be here today, and I, and I absolutely love the fact that you guys follow us. Stay plugged in, y'all. That's, that's the thing I can say to everybody. you got to stay plugged in the process. You cannot not be involved. You have to be engaged on whatever level it is. If there's any message from today, y'all got to be involved. Thanks. It's a blessing to be with you. Everybody stay safe. This is a Santita Jackson. My name's Richard Chu. And I guess, Henry, are we out? We're out. All right, y'all. Take care.